0: The title of today's message is called Rejoice in the Lord and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go from verses 1 all the way to verses 11. Now Christians should be full of joy, but joy can be elusive like a cat, like a squirrel, like a like a nasty fly. joy can it can come and it can go. Many people today I believe have lost their joy. We have lost our joy. Maybe it's the coronavirus that has done that, just the, the, the way it's affected our life, the way it's just messed with the economy, messed with people's jobs, that has stolen your joy. The financial uncertainty that we're, we're facing as a people, maybe that's just, that's you, that's your reality right now in your home. You don't know where it's all going to come from. Some people have lost their joy because of the fresh reminder of racism in our world. Maybe it's not being able to gather with the saints. You just miss being with the church, with the people of God. See, Christians should be full of joy. But living in a world this broken tells us we need to guard our joy. We should be full of joy, but we, this world is so broken. There's such a struggle here to live that we need to guard our joy well the great thing about this text is it's going to tell us how to have joy so if we've never had true joy this text is going to show us how to have joy but it's also going to show us how to protect our joy so it's going to tell us how to have it and how to protect it now let's ask God for his help before we look at it father we Thank you for your word, Lord. We know that your word makes wise the simple, and so we ask that you would make us wise as we look into it. We thank you, God, that in your kindness, in your grace, you made sure that we have your word and that we have your Holy Spirit who is in us that helps us to understand it and help us to walk in it. And so we pray, God, for your grace right now. I pray for me as I seek to teach my brothers and sisters in Christ that it would be a source of encouragement to them And a help to them, and that it would help us walk much more faithfully with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, verse one of chapter three says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And so there's this command in verse in verse one, which is to rejoice in the Lord. It's a command to be full of joy, and notice that the rejoicing is done in the Lord. See, joy, true joy, does not come from our circumstances. True and lasting joy comes from knowing who God is, knowing what he has done in the gospel, and knowing and believing and holding on to his promises. Let me say that again. True and lasting joy comes from knowing who God is, knowing what he has done for us in the gospel, and knowing his promises and holding on to them. St. Clair Ferguson says, Our circumstances provide an all-too-fickle foundation for profound and lasting joy. But joy in the Lord is able to coexist with all kinds of situations. you hear that? Joy in the Lord is able to coexist with all kinds of situation. Its source does not lie in our changing circumstances. The, our, our circumstances are always changing. That's why we don't, try to, we don't put our hope in our circumstances. They're changing. But its source does not lie in our unchanging circumstances, but in our unchanging Savior and in the joy-giving giving word that He has spoken to us. See, sometimes we're discouraged, we're defeated. Sometimes we're, we're on the mat and it's because we're trying to find our joy in something other than Jesus Christ, other than our Savior. And Paul says, to, to write the same thing to you is safe for you. See that there? He says, he says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul knows that pastors repeat themselves A lot. Sometimes when I ask the boys what they thought about the the message after, you know, they'll just say to me, Dad, you just said the same same thing over and over and over, and we were just kind of wondering when you were going to wrap it up. We know we repeat ourselves a lot, but hearing the same thing, hearing truth over and over is the way that it sticks in our mind. Hearing truth over and over helps us. It's safe, he says. See, there is a real temptation to try to say something new. And in that temptation, in trying so much to say something new, we end up saying something that is not true. And so we want to say the same thing over and over, the true things. So what you will hear today is not new, but it is safe. What you will hear today is not new, but it is safe safe verse two says look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh There's a here's a way that we can guard our joy we will have joy when we watch out for false teaching We will have joy when we watch out for false teaching. So three times, Paul says, look out. He says, look out. It's like somebody, when you see somebody who's about to be hit by a car or run over by something, you scream, look out, you're in danger. He says, watch out. Paul here, he is warning his friends. He believes that they are very soon gonna gonna experience and hear some very bad teaching. And the language is, he uses, tells us that he takes this threat seriously. He calls them evildoers. And that's what false teachers are. They're evildoers. He calls them the mutilators of the flesh. The words here shows that these teachers, these false teachers, are the reverse of what they're supposed to be. They're the reverse of what they claim to be. And more, more than likely, what you have here are Judaizers. It's people who taught that to be Christians, to be believers, that you had to be circumcised. And Paul says they're distorting the gospel, that they are evildoers. That's what he calls them. See, false teachers are evil because they put people's lives in jeopardy because what they present is not the gospel at all. And so, so Paul tells them to watch out for false teaching and it's the same command to us. We are to watch out for false teachers. And here's one of the best ways that we can do this. It comes from Acts chapter 17. It says, As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So Paul and Silas get sent on a journey it says upon arrival they went into the synagogue of the Jews the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness so they're like yes brethren give tell me t- t- teach the gospel to me we want to hear the word and it says and and examine the scriptures daily so they hear the word they are welcome it. They invite it. They're like, we want that. But watch what they do. It says that they examine the Scriptures daily. Why? To see if these things were so. They're like, we heard you, but we're going to check the text. We're going to look and see and make sure that what you have said actually aligns with what God has said. And here's the thing. When we hear any teaching, we are to look into the Word, and we are to look and see if it aligns up. And if it doesn't, we are to call it what it is, false. Anything that says that we have to do something to earn salvation is not good news at all. We do not gain salvation by what we do. We gain our salvation by believing in what Jesus Christ has done. We believe in his finished work. And you and I are to never get that twisted. And when we believe, we are welcomed into the people of God. Notice in verse 3 says, Paul says, for we are the circumcision. See, the people of God are no longer defined by what happens to them physically. They're defined by what has happened to them spiritually. We are the circumcision. We have a new heart when we trust in Jesus Christ. We've been given a heart that has new desires. We want to obey. We want to honor God. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit residing in us who gives us the power to walk in obedience. To what God has said, here's something to rejoice in every day. If you have lost your joy, here's something that can help bring that joy back into your life. You are part of the people of God. You are in his family. We're in the family of God, all because of the mercy of God. 1 Peter 1 says, 1 verse 10 says, once you were not a people, there was a time where we were outside the family. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And God welcoming us into the family, it was was an act of mercy and grace. We experienced the mercy of God all because the Son of God took the wrath of God. We're in God's family. He has brought us in. And we've got to remember that this is a diverse family. That the family of God is diverse. And as a church, as the people of God, we have to embrace that diversity and reflect that diversity in the things that we do. So I want to say this again because it's important. The family of God, the people of God is diverse. It was always God's plan. To, to save people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He, that Jesus was, is a savior for all people. And so the family of God is diverse and we need to uh, embrace the diversity and reflect the diversity. Here are some ways that we can do that. We do this by uh, getting close to people who are different than us who look different, who think different, who are from different places than we are. We, we want to get close to, to, to people who are different from us because that is the way that we grow in sensitivity. That is the way that we get walked out of wrong ideas and wrong thinking that we hold about one another. And so we are, we are willing to walk into, into awkwardness in some ways to get to know people who are different than us because that is, that is the greatest sensitivity training there is to get close to somebody who is different than you. Then we need to express ministry in a way that reflects diversity. We need to be willing to do that. We wanna e- express our ministry in a way that reflects the congregation that is in front of us. And then there needs to be diversity in leadership. Diversity in leadership. And I'm not talking about just anybody. I'm talking about qualified, spirit-filled people shepherding the flock. These things, what they do, they help the church to have a balanced, faithful, nuanced, and joyful witness in the world. I'm going to say that again. Embracing diversity and reflecting that helps the church to have a balanced, faithful, nuanced, joyful witness in the world. And God wants that from us. And then the people of God are described by Paul in three ways. He says that they worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit of God. That means that the Spirit is living in us, and now we are able, because of the Spirit's power, to live lives that are pleasing to God. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So we worship by the Spirit of God. Then he says that we, we glory in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here for glory has the idea of trust and confidence, placing your trust and confidence in something. The, the people of God have all of their trust, all of their confidence in Jesus Christ, in nothing else, not in themselves, Not in someone else, not Jesus Christ. All their trust and confidence is in him. They're not trusting in themselves or their performance. And this is another way that we protect our joy. We do it by putting no confidence in the flesh. Verse six, sorry, verse four says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul gives his, a a list almost of credentials of things that he says, if anyone could be more confident, it should be me. No one could be more confident than me in this list, he's telling them that my parents were faithful to the law. They followed it to a T. He's saying I'm from a great family. He's saying I was, I'm a, I was a person who was committed to Jewish life. He said I had the best education. I lived, I lived the most moral and upright life. And then he says as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, Paul, tried to lock up Christians. He, he, was, he was a terror to God's people. He voted for Christians to be killed. He was present at, uh, at, uh, uh, at pers- acts of persecution. He was there giving his full support. He was saved on his way to do more harm. Well, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. See, what you have with Paul is he is a picture that there's no one that God can't save or change. That's why I tell you all of those things, that, that the kind of person he was before, he's this picture, this reminder that there's no one that God can't save and change. I want you to think right now of the most hostile person that you know towards the faith, the most hostile person in your life. And I want to ask you this question. How much do you pray for them? How much are you actually going on your knees before God and crying out for help? Because the amount that you pray tells you the amount and belief that you think that God can do something with them. But there is no one that God, that is too far for God to save, change, and use for his glory. Paul is a beautiful picture of that. Paul lists all of his achievements, and he says, I, I put no confidence in them. Frank... Theoman says, this does not mean that Paul thought of himself as sinless prior to conversion. It means instead that his parents had done everything for him that the law required Jews to do and that he himself had diligently observed the law. Paul trusted that one day his heritage and these achievements would help him stand acquitted before God. But when God apprehended him, so when he was saved, when God opened his eyes, Paul saw them for what they were, fleshly and therefore fallible human effort, tainted with sin and therefore unable to receive God's approval. We never put confidence in anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, trusting in our works and in our achievement gives us no peace. Here's why. You never know if you've done enough. You, you can't have peace because you're constantly wondering, am I, am I on good ground? Have I, have I done enough to get God's approval? See, but Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection for us is the only thing that is enough. And that's why when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, it is finished. This text speaks to Christians, but it also speaks to the non-Christian it also speaks to a non-christian it tells it it points to the fact that that non-christians can live very moral lives that they can do things that they can have great achievements but that that moralism and our achievements it will never save you and i say this with all due respect and with with grace and compassion, that at the end of your life, if you want to enter into joy, or even if you want to enter into true and lasting joy now, it's not trusting in yourself, non-Christian. It's trusting in our savior, Jesus Christ. We all need him. And, and the moment we believe the gospel, that Jesus, that Jesus died in our place, that he came, that he lived the life we couldn't live, that he hung on the cross, and then that after dying God raised him to prove that sin was paid for that he is reigning and ruling now and that there's a day where he is going to come back to make all things right when we believe that when we believe that we are sinful and that we need him to save us that he then we enter into salvation we enter into the people of God and we enter into joy now and we we have the promise of joy later that is available to anyone who trusts in Christ. My first job was at uh, Wendy's and I got the job because my aunt was the manager and I kept the job because my aunt was the manager. I was a terrible employee. And I remember my first paycheck. My first paycheck was $250. And the day I got it, I got, I took all of the money. I went to the mall and went right to the Foot Locker, and I took all of the $250 and and drop them on a pair of Air Jordan 8s. Now, if you don't know what what those shoes look like or what they are, I encourage you right now to Google it because these are the greatest pair of shoes ever made in the entire world. And I... Took, there was no hesitation in giving all of the money up. It was quick, immediate. Even now, I, I, when I became a Christian, I gave those, those shoes away, and there's regular moments of regret. I, I just want them back. But I tell you that because I want you to realize that the reason why I could give up all of that money was because I treasured the kicks more than the paycheck. I treasured the Jays more than the money in my bank account. And the way I treasured those sh- pair of shoes, Paul treasured Christ. Look at verse seven. It says, But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Joy comes when we watch out for false teaching, when we put no confidence in the flesh, and when we treasure Christ above all. In these verses, what you see is Paul's heart. You see his heart for Jesus, that he loves Jesus, that he treasures him, and he wants others to treasure him also, he says, whatever I gained, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word Lord is important because it tells us the way that we are to see Jesus, that he is not just anybody, that he is our savior and that he is our Lord. And so when Jesus gives us a command, it's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's—it's it's, He expects us to walk in Obedience, And here's the thing that is so important in this, that whatever Jesus commands us to do, whatever he says we are to do, we need to know this. We need to have this in our minds. It will always lead to our good. It will always lead to blessing, even if it makes your life a little bit harder. It will always lead to blessing and lasting joy. He says, I suffered the loss of all things. I counted them as rubbish. He says, all that I gained, all those achievements that I just listed off, he says, compared to Jesus Christ, they are rubbish. The King James Version actually translates this word right. It's the, it says, I count them as dung. He says, it's all trash. He treasures Christ so much that he can easily give all of this up. See, when someone rejects the gospel, when someone rejects the gospel, what they're doing is they're treasuring something else more than Christ. And the question that we have to answer when we reject the gospel is, will this thing that I'm treasuring more than Jesus, will this thing bring me lasting joy? That is a question that we have to ask when we choose to reject the gospel. Paul treasured Christ. He treasured him for who he is and all that he gained through him by faith for who he is and all that he gained. There's some benefits that came to his life. The first one I want to show you is that he, he gains full justification. Verse 9 says, And having being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that the, uh, from God that depends on faith. When he trusted in Christ, his, the perfect lived life of Jesus Christ, his, Im, his righteousness was imputed. It was, it was debited into his account. And, that's, and that's, that's the reality for us too. And that's why the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of us, we look at the, the life that we lived previously and we, 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 we kind of review all the things that we did back there. And, and God's like, it's all gone. It's forgiven. There's no condemnation over your life. When God looks, what he sees is a, is a saint, his child. We are, we are redeemed sinners who are now called saints. Paul's reality is our reality. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he, he gains full justification. And then he gains ongoing transformation. Look at verse 10. It says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. He knows Jesus and he wants to know Jesus even more. He wants to go deeper in his relationship with Jesus him and he knows that nothing takes us deeper in our relationship with Jesus like suffering. So and I'm as a pastor I never wish suffering on anyone. I don't think anyone wishes suffering on anyone who's in their right mind. And but suffering takes us deeper in our relationship with And so you need to understand that right now, the trial that is going on in your life, the trial that we're kind of all working through right now as we think about the times that we're in, is not wasted. None of it is wasted. God uses it to mature us, to refine us, and to make it so that we are able to comfort others in their suffering. That's why James in his letter says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, Count it all joy. Do you do that? When something rolls up on your doorstep, do you, do you find that joy is there? But James says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials, because God is going to use that to refine us, grow us, and make us like Christ. That is always the aim. So he gets full justification, ongoing transformation, and then there's this anticipated glorification verse 11 says that i may that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead paul knows that there's a day coming where he will experience salvation in full and that's true for us too there's a day coming where we will experience all all that there is in our salvation in full first john three says beloved We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, when he appears, so many times I have to ask myself the hard question, do I actually believe Jesus is coming? When he appears, we shall be like him. I want to ask you, how much do you pray for the return of Christ? Because a verse like this tells us that we are to be every day crying out, saying, come, Jesus, come and make all of this right. Because when he comes, the suffering, the pain, the trial, all of it, all of it will be over. That is why we call on God and say, come, Lord Jesus. The promise of, ju- of glorification the promise of glorification should fill us with hope, should fill us with peace, and it should fill us with joy because we know that we got something good coming to us, that there's something, um, that, that there's showers of blessing coming from th- for those who trust in Christ. This should give us an anchor in the storm. You can see as we have walked through this, these 11 verses, why Paul treasures Christ so much and why he commands us to rejoice in the Lord. That's the command. Rejoice in the Lord. And here's the thing. This command comes when Paul is in jail. It's, he, he gives it, not even sure if he's going to die. This is not a command that he gives while laying on a beach in JA, eating steamed fish and co- drinking coconut water, singing, I feel good. That's not, that's not where it comes. It's, he, it's a brother who is in a hard spot. He is in jail, suffering, chained probably to somebody, not even sure if he's going to make it. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. He can give this command because our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our joy is based on our reality in the gospel. I'm going to say that again. So in your living room, wherever you are, you can say amen. Our joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on our reality in the gospel. And I just want to refresh you on that reality real quick. We are saved. In Christ we are saved we have salvation and we will experience it in full in Christ we are being transformed in chapter 1 verse 6 he says he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the good thing that God has started in us he's going to get it done because he always finishes what he started and we have a future that is full of of hope. We are going to be in a place of joy, everlasting and blessing when we see our Savior. Let these things fill you with joy in these changing and challenging moments. Let it fill you with joy, no matter the times that we're in. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, it would have been a source of encouragement to those who have heard. God, we pray and ask that you would fill us with joy. I pray for those who have lost their joy, Lord, that the the joy of their salvation would return. And Father, I, I pray that we would be crying out to you for the return of Christ, but also regularly reviewing our reality in the gospel, that we have so much to be joyful about no matter the times. God, we thank you and we pray that you would give us strength to walk into whatever you have for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.